help us to be able to understand what on earth you have put us here for. Father, we're thankful that you've created us. You've created us to serve. You've created us to worship. You've created us for fellowship. You've created us, Lord, for a mission. This morning, we're going to look at that you've created us to be more like Jesus. It's not always easy. It's not always easy to allow you to conform us to the image of your son. But this is your purpose. This is one of the reasons you put us here, one of the reasons you've created us, to become like Jesus Christ. So we ask that you would take your word once again this morning, your word that is used to change us, your word that is to fill our minds and fill our hearts so that the Holy Spirit of God can take all of that and mold and shape and transform us to be holy as you are holy. So we commit our service to you. To God be the glory. Great things you have done. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. More like the master, page 362. More like the master. I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we sing this, <coughs> and then those in junior church can be dismissed. <coughs> more like the master I would ever be, more of his meekness, more humility, more zeal to labor, more courage to be true, more consecration.
seated. In my prayer, I mentioned the fact that the fourth purpose for us is to become more like Jesus, to become more like His Son. You know, it's always been God's plan for us to become like Christ. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 9, it says this. Ah, I lost my place. 829, there it is. For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. We have been predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. Becoming like Christ is a purpose for our lives. It's all about transforming our character. God's goal for us, as He says in His book, Rick Warren, it's not your comfort, but your character. God's goal for us it's not comfort, but to develop our character. And when we begin to forget that, then we get awfully frustrated by the circumstances around us. When we begin to forget that it's not always about comfort, but character. Because then we begin to look around us and we begin to ask, why is this happening to me? Why am I having such a difficult time? But what God is doing in those circumstances is He is shaping and He is molding and He's developing you into the image of His Son. So whose job is it? Whose job is it to produce this Christ-like character? Whose job is it for you to become more like Jesus? In Philippians chapter 2, and this is our text for this morning, I would invite you to turn to Philippians chapter 2 and look with me at just two verses. There's just two verses we want to look at, and it's not even the entire verse of each. It's just the end of 12 and then all of 13. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 says this, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill His good purpose. Now, in this verse... We're not talking about how someone becomes a Christian. We're talking about once we're saved, how we become more like Jesus. It doesn't say continue to work for your salvation. Listen, we know better than that. If you've been in this church for any length of time, you know that you can't work for your salvation. It doesn't say work for your salvation. It says work out your salvation. There's a huge difference. 
The Bible is clear when it speaks of being saved by grace through faith and not of works, lest anyone should boast. No boasters in heaven. No one gets to heaven and says, I'm here because of these things that I've done. Oh, no. You're in heaven because of God's grace and grace alone. However, when we become a Christian, when we enter into the family of God, then the work begins. Then it says we work out our salvation. That's your responsibility. Your responsibility in becoming like Christ is to work it out as the Holy Spirit of God is working in. The Spirit works in, you work it out. There's a partnership that is involved. One of the quotes that I found in the Purpose Driven Life book is this. Spiritual growth is a collaborative effort between you and the Holy Spirit. It's a partnership. We're talking this morning about discipleship, about sanctification. We're talking about the process of becoming holy, the process of spiritual maturity, how we get to that place of becoming like Christ. Peter speaks of growing up spiritually. Sanctification is that. It's a process. It's not instantaneous. We don't wake up one morning and all of a sudden we're, we're all like Jesus. It doesn't work that way. All through our life is this process of sanctification. We're becoming like Jesus. We partner with God in this process. But it appears to me as though we're really not equal partners. <laughs> we might be partnering with God, but we're not equal partners. Because ultimately, sanctification is a work of God in us. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6 that He, God, who has begun this good work in you, God began the work in you. God is the one who initiated salvation. God began this good work in you. He, God, who began this good work in you, He will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. So yes, we have a role to play, and we're going to look at that in a moment, but ultimately, it's the Spirit of God, His work in us, that is producing fruit. I used the illustration a while back. I don't know if you still remember it, but I think it's a good one. I like illustrations that I can relate to, although I've never uh, really fished too much out in the ocean. I'd rather be on a creek or a river somewhere. I don't like big water. Uh, we we um, get a little bit um, seasick, and it's not a fun thing to be hanging out over the boat, you know, doing some things when you'd rather be fishing. And so uh, we don't do the big water thing anymore. Uh, but, however, I, I, I heard this illustration, or I think I saw a TV show, and they were out in the big water catching big fish. Well, here's this fisherman. He's in the back of the boat, and the captain's in his little place where he has the steering wheel in hand. Well, lo and behold, this big fish 
grabs the hook. Now, in the river or in the trout stream, you know, in a couple of seconds, you can probably reel the fish to the boat or reel the fish into your, into your, uh, you know, to your rod. But out in the ocean, some of these fish are that big that it might take 15 minutes, 20 minutes, a half an hour, an hour, an hour and a half to be able to get that boat to the, get that fish to the boat. And I've seen these guys in the back of the boat and they are struggling, they are sweating, their arms are ready to fall off as they're just reeling and reeling. And, but eventually, if the fish doesn't tear off, that fish will come to the boat. And I, this one show I was watching, this guy finally got this fish to the boat after I don't know how long. And he looked back at the captain, and the captain's just kind of grinning. He said, what are you laughing at? You didn't do any of the work. I, I was doing all the work, bringing the fish to the boat. And the captain kind of just smiled and said, yeah, but you know what? I was backing the boat to the fish. <laughs> so who did the work? Well, they both did. There was a partnership. Now, in the partnership that God has given to us with the Holy Spirit, ultimately, it's the Spirit of God who is backing the boat to the fish while we're working for out our salvation. I hope that illustration makes sense because we are in a partnership, and yet it seems to me that the Holy Spirit's role ultimately is bringing about the sanctification in us. So as we look at this verse, first of all, let's look at the Holy Spirit's role. It says in verse 13, it is God who works in us. It's his Holy Spirit working in us to act in order to fulfill, to will and act in order to fulfill his good purpose. To will and to act. One of my commentators defined this, interpreted this as, it's God who gives us the desire to obey, and it's God who gives us the power to do what pleases God. It's God who gives us the desire to even strive for holiness. And it's God who works in us, giving us the power and the ability to do those things that pleases God. You know, it's no accident, I don't believe, that the Holy, or, uh, yeah, the Holy Spirit, uh, the third person of the Trinity, of the Godhead, is called Holy. Holy Spirit. Because holiness characterizes his divine nature. And he imparts this holiness to us. He gives to us his nature, his character. You see, when we become Christians, we are regenerated. And the word means that the Holy Spirit imparts his life to us. We have the divine nature in us, which enables us to work out our salvation. And this life that is changing, this life that is being transformed, it's spoken of in the Bible as fruit being produced. When you look at someone and you want to see 
how they've grown, how they've matured, how they are like Christ. The Bible speaks of fruit that is produced in us. In Galatians chapter 5, for example, we read this. The fruit of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are being produced. This is what is seen as the Holy Spirit works in us. This is His fruit produced by Him, by the indwelling presence of God's Spirit. These Christian virtues come out and are seen in the believer's life. So, we look at ourselves. Are we growing? Are we maturing? Am I different today than I was two years ago? Well, what about loving others? How is your patience? What about being gentle? What about being under, in self-control? I mean, we can evaluate ourselves, I suppose, by just looking at this list. Are we becoming like Christ? Are we more loving today than we were last week? Are we filled with joy and peace that we didn't have at one time all of these things are being produced in us jesus gives us analogy the analogy of the vine and the branches that you know we can't really do anything apart uh, from the godhead back in john chapter 15 let me read uh, these verses to you in john 15 and verse 1 jesus says i am the vine and you are the branches My father, he's the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken. Remain in me and I also remain in you. Now no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, then you will bear much fruit. Now listen to this. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You see, we need God's Spirit. This analogy that Jesus gives is if we're broken from the vine, the branch itself cannot bear fruit. We need to be attached to the vine. You see, this is the work of God's Spirit in us. We really cannot do anything apart from the Holy Spirit. We can't produce fruit. We can't become like Christ. We can't grow alone. We can't become holy by ourselves. We need God in us. It's God who works in us to will and to act. It's God who gives us desires to obey. It's God who gives us the empowerment to be able to do those things that please Him. Just as no branch can bear fruit by itself, no one can bear spiritual fruit apart from the Holy Spirit. We cannot become like Christ without 
the Spirit of Christ in us. A toaster, someone said, cannot produce toast unless it's connected to the power source. Unless we're connected to the Holy Spirit, we cannot produce the fruit that we should be producing. I quote again, spiritual growth is a collaborative effort between you and the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, we cannot bear fruit. We often get sick. We go to the doctor. The doctor looks at us, maybe takes our temperature, and he makes a diagnosis. He gives us a slip of paper and says, now you take this to the pharmacist. We take the slip of paper to the pharmacist. They fill a prescription. And up to that point, everything has been done for us. But now it's our role <laughs> to take that pill, to take that medication. And we recover. The Holy Spirit has done so awfully much for us. He gives desires. He gives the empowerment. We have all the resources we need in Him. But then it comes to our role. Up to this point, the Holy Spirit has been doing it all. But here's the balance. God is at work. God is giving strength. God is giving power. God is giving desires. But now our responsibility is to work it out. It's to work all of that out. So what does that mean? As I said, well, effort has nothing to do with salvation. It has much to do with the growth process. Eight times in the New Testament, we read these words, make every effort. Make every effort. And I want to say to you this morning, there are no shortcuts to maturity. Don't you wish there was? <laughs> Don't you wish you could just do something and tomorrow morning, you just kind of wake up and, you know, you, you've already arrived. But even the Apostle Paul says, you know, I've, I haven't arrived yet. I'm better than I was. I've come a long way. But I have so much more to do. You see, sanctification is a lifelong process. And I like, too, what's spoken of in Philippians after it says to work out our salvation in fear and trembling, it says this, or after it says to, to work it out, it says work it out in fear and trembling. And Rick Warren defines that by saying, take it seriously. Take becoming like Christ seriously. Because I'm afraid that many times, and many Christians do not, 
You know, if I get better tomorrow, if I'm more like Christ, eh, you know, so what? It's a good thing if it does, but I, I really, I'm not going to make this a priority. I I'd really, I just don't think I'm going to put forth all that effort. Remember I said maturity, there are no shortcuts. There are no shortcuts. And God's purpose for you is to grow up spiritually. And to act it out, work it out, in fear and trembling means take this very, very seriously. This is a purpose for you. And we need to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. There's a verse in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 19. It says, do not quench the Spirit. Do not quench the Spirit. Uh, the NIV says, don't put out the Spirit's fire. You see, the Spirit of God is at work in you. He, and we're not to quench His work. We're not to put out His fire. The Spirit of God wants for us to become holy as He is holy. He wants so much for us to become like Christ. But we oftentimes, we quench that Spirit. We say no to the Spirit. You know, I said a few weeks ago, and we spoke about, you know, not my will, but thy will be done. When Jesus was there in the garden, as he's crying out to God, he recognized the fact that I need to do the Father's will. The Spirit of God in you has a will for you. He wants to guide you, and he wants to direct you, and he wants to lead you. And we oftentimes, we quench the spirit we we put out his fire and we decide we don't want that we want to go our own way we have our own agenda we have our own will we dare not quench the spirits moving the transition between the spirits role and our role is to say to ourselves we're willing to surrender our wills to his not my will, but thine be done. All right, now let's, let's go down to where the rubber meets the road. Let's go down to where we need to make every effort. Rick Warren in his book, he has a couple of chapters, and two of them are chapters that are entitled Transformed by Truth and Transformed by Trouble. Transformed by truth and transformed by trouble. We are changed, we are transformed by truth. Let's start with that one. In John chapter 17 and verse 17, Jesus said, Sanctify them by truth. Your word is truth. The Spirit of God, now listen, the Spirit of God uses the Word of God, to change us to become like the Son of God. The Spirit of God. He uses the Word of God, the Bible, the Scriptures. That's why Jesus said, sanctify them, set them apart. You become holy as I am holy through the Word of God. The Spirit of God uses the Word of God to make us like the Son of God. 
So, that means in order to become like Jesus, we have to fill our lives and fill our minds and fill our hearts with the Word of God. So that the Spirit of God can use His Word to change us. Feeding on the Word of God must be a priority. That's why it says in Philippians, work it out with fear and trembling. Take this seriously. That if you want to change, if you want to be transformed, if you want to become like Jesus, then this Word must saturate you. You have to fill your minds and your hearts and your lives with the Word of God and should consider this as essential to your life as food itself. It was Job who said this. Job said, I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my daily food. Think of that, Job. (laughs) I, I treasure God's words more than I even treasure my daily food. As food nourishes us physically, it's the Word of God that nourishes us spiritually. And if you want to grow, if you really take that seriously, you really have a desire to become holy as God is holy, to become like Jesus, then I'm going to suggest a few things that you must do. Number one, you must accept the Bible as your authority. You know, you should have already settled that issue. The Word of God must be our ultimate authority for life. I mean, what other authority is there? There isn't any other authority except God, who has written in His Word what He wants us to know. This is God speaking to us. This is God instructing us. This is God commanding us. You want to hear God's voice? You want to hear God speak? Then you open the Word of God. This is God's Word. It's infallible. It's inerrant. It's what God wants for us to know. We need to resolve that issue. That the Bible is our final authority. And when God speaks, we need to believe it. So we accept the Bible. We accept this Bible as the authority of God. Secondly, assimilate its truth. You need to fill your mind with the Word of God so that the Holy Spirit can transform you with that truth. Now here's where there are no shortcuts. There's only a few ways that the Bible can get into your heart and mind. You read it. Right? You have to read it. You have to make every effort to get this word into your mind. You're doing that this morning, and I appreciate that. I appreciate the fact that you're here, and the word of God, I hope, you're listening I hope you're paying attention, and the Word of God, I hope, is penetrating your mind and your heart. But Sunday morning for 30 minutes is not enough. 30 minutes on Sunday morning is not enough. What you need to do is you need to have a time when you read it. 
when you take it seriously, the Bible also says study. Study to show yourself approved unto God. And then one of the long lost arts is meditation. I don't think we know really much of meditation anymore today. And I'm not talking about this oriental stuff. I'm, just, I'm talking about meditating on the word of God. Listen, we all know how to meditate because we all know how to worry. What is worry? Worry is dwelling on something negative. Meditation is dwelling on something positive. If you know how to worry, you know how to meditate. You know, I, I, I've, over the years, I've tried a lot of different things. And um, I remember one time someone said, you know, it, it's great to read through the Bible in a year. If you're doing that, listen, I have no problem with that. But what I did one time is I did this. As you're reading through the Bible um, and you come to the end of the day, you say, got that done. And it all ends there. I hope that doesn't happen to you. I hope, you know, you can take some. But oftentimes we read it just to say, I got through my assignment. But someone said to me one time, as you're reading through the Bible, when you hit a verse that just kind of, bam, hits you in the mouth, just stop. Don't go any further. Take that verse. If that spoke to you, if, if something just jumped off the page at you, take that verse and just think about that verse all day long. That's called meditation. And I think God can use those disciplines. And by the way, this is a discipline. This is making every effort. I'm not saying this is an easy thing. I'm just saying if we're going to take this word and we're going to get it into our lives, then we have to make every effort to do that. We read it, we study it, we meditate on it. You figure out how that works for you. Figure out how that works for you. Maybe that is a verse that you just think about all day long. Or if you're going through a certain situation, uh, search that word, whatever word that might be, uh, and, and find that in the scriptures and take a verse. But do something. Make every effort. Work out your salvation in fear and trembling, and then apply its principles. You see, first of all, we accept its authority. This is the Word of God. This is God's instructions to us. Then we assimilate its truth. We get the Word of God into our minds and hearts, but then we apply it. James says, don't just be hearers, but be doers of the Word. You see, once we have this word, once we know what it says, then we have to apply it. Then we live it out. No shortcuts. No shortcuts. This is, takes time. Takes effort. But if we take becoming like Christ seriously, we'll make every effort to do this. And then, he also says in another chapter, we are transformed by trouble. Whoa. We are transformed by 
trouble. Let me read just a couple of pages. Well, no, not pages. Just a couple of paragraphs in a book entitled Transformed by Trouble. God has a purpose behind every problem. He uses circumstances to develop our character. In fact, He depends more on circumstances to make us like Jesus than He depends on our reading the Bible. And then He says the reason is obvious. You face circumstances 24 hours a day. Jesus warned us that we would have problems in this world. No one is immune to pain or insulated from suffering. And no one gets to skate through life problem-free. Life is a series of problems. Every time you solve one, another one is waiting to take its place. Not all of them are big, but all are significant in God's growth process. You know, God could have kept Joseph from jail. God could have kept Daniel out of the lion's den. God certainly could have kept Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from entering into that blazing furnace. God certainly could have kept Paul from three terrible shipwrecks. But he didn't. And all of those experiences drew those men closer to God. As God was shaping them and molding them to become like him. Johnny Erickson Tata said this, and I quote, When life is rosy, we may slide by with knowing about Jesus, but only in suffering will we know Jesus. None of your troubles could happen without God's permission. And God intends to use whatever you're going through right now to make you like Christ. We read in Romans chapter 5, we know that these troubles produce patience and patience produces character. That's the way it works. And he says troubles are very, very instrumental in bringing us to Christ-likeness. No shortcuts to maturity. Boy, I wish there were. I wish we could just snap a wand and we're like Jesus. Well, that day's coming, you know. The day is coming when we take our last breath or the Lord comes in the air. There is coming a day when we will become fully like Jesus, when we see Him face to face. But until that day, the Bible says we are to be making every effort, partnering with the Holy Spirit, cooperating with Him. But our role is to work it out. It's to work it out. One thing you can be certain, the Spirit of God is doing His part. The Spirit of God is working in you. We know He's doing His part. My question to you 
Are you doing yours? Are you working out your salvation with fear and trembling? Father, we pause for a moment before you as we close. We thank you that you are a God who is working, always working. Lord, even when we aren't aware of it, you're always working in us. Help us, Father, to do our part. Help us, Lord, to be working out those things that you are working in. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hymn number 349, May the mind of Christ my Savior live in me from day to day. By his love and his power controlling all that I do and say. We're talking this morning about discipleship, becoming like Jesus. Think about that as we sing this closing hymn. Let's stand together. We'll sing all five verses and then we'll be dismissed. <laughs>